On today's episode of Power of the Purell, we break down Pavel Bure's 1992-93 season, his first big offensive season in the NHL and for the Vancouver Canucks. And we also do a little return of the Power of the Purell book club. Yes, I'm doing a book review after this. Should be a good one. You'll be saying wow every time you use this towel. He's not a person at all. He's a towel. You're a towel. But in Vancouver, mainly it's all about towel power. Are you ready? Welcome to another episode of Power of the Purell, the rebranded version of Power of the Towel, while we're all stuck at home during this quarantine. I'm your host, Nick Bondi. Make sure to subscribe to the network, man. Before you listen any further, subscribe to the network. We're still cranking out shows for you guys. Bunch of new shows coming up. Trevor's still doing the quickie. New episode of Sippin' on a 40 coming out real soon. I should... We're still making shows for you. Do not worry. You will be thoroughly entertained while you're stuck inside. It's a really beautiful day outside in Vancouver. And I feel like as of right now, they should just somehow, the government should just make the weather rainy and miserable so everyone's forced to be stuck inside. It just makes it so much crueler when it's a nice, beautiful day out like today, nice spring day. And I can't really go anywhere. I can't really do anything. I got to stay inside. Maybe I can go, like, hang out on my deck, but that's really about it. But enough about that. I promise it off the top. I want to break down a very, I think, important season for one individual player in Canucks history. And, sorry, if you're not aware, I am breaking down every episode of Power of the Pure, every main episode of Power of the Pure. I'm going to sprinkle in, try and sprinkle in some... Bonus episodes breaking down various TV shows, music that I like. I did a bonus episode on The Sopranos, why you need to watch it. But I want to break down this specific season, sorry. And it is Pavel Burry's 92-93 season. Let me just set up this season for you a bit. So, Pavel Burry comes over November of 91 I'm sure everyone here listening to this has heard the stories of his legendary first game against the Winnipeg Jets. Ripped off like two breakaways, probably should have scored. And that year he finished with around a point a game, ended up winning Rookie of the Year as a at the Calder Trophy while playing pretty much, he only played from November on. But it was, it was a good rookie season for him. And the next season, that 92-93 season, was maybe, I want to say, probably, if you look at their history, actually, the first big offensive season from any individual player in Canucks history up until that point. Now, let me let me, let me break it down. Powell Burry had 
60 goals and 50 assists for 110 points. Nice round numbers. 60 goals, 56, 50 assists, 110 points. That, is, that just looks good on a score sheet when you have nice round, even numbers like that. Had a 14.7 shooting percentage, which is pretty is pretty near, if you look at some of the higher scores, near near the bottom. You had some guys like shooting over 20% that year, which is ridiculous. But anyways, and I'm scoring 60 goals. And that is still still a club record for goals in the season. He tied tied for 60 with who? Himself the previous year. He had back-to-back 60-goal seasons. But it was just, he just shattered the record. This was the, like I said, this was the first big offensive season from any individual Canuck ever. Previously, the goals record for from a season was Tony Tanti. Scored 55, no, sorry, not 50, 45 goals in the 83-84 season. But let's be real, scoring 45 goals in that time period was the equivalent of scoring like 29 goals. Wasn't that wasn't that impressive, really, if you think about it? That Palabury scored 60 goals that year. He had 25 more points than the second highest point getter on that team. You know who that was? Not Trevor Linden. Cliff Ronning. Cliff Ronning, man. I remember this funny Cliff Ronning story. My buddy used to live around where he lives on Government Road. And he used to go make sure to go to his house on Halloween every year to get candy. He would he was one of those they were one of those households that gave out the big king size chocolate bars. I think he still lives there. Maybe his neighbor is Michael Bublé. But in any event, Pablo Burry had 110 points that year. Pretty damn impressive. But man, that 92-93 season was just loaded. With offensive firepower and big offensive seasons. Palaburi had 110 points. He was only 13th in the league scoring that year. He didn't even crack the top 10 with 110 points. There were over 20 players with 100 points that year. He had 60 goals that year. Where does that rank him in goal scored? Fifth. He was fifth with 60 goals. That was the year Timu Solani and Alex McGillney scored 76 goals each. That was the year Timu Solani shattered the rookie goal scoring record, goals for record. A record that's probably never going to be broken. 76 goals by a rookie. Not happening in today's NHL, that's for sure. My man. 13th in points with 110 points. That's, that 92-93 season was just absolutely wild. Also, the last time, of course, the Canadian team won a Stanley Cup. Montreal Canadiens beat the Los Angeles Kings. But yeah, this was the first. This pal, I chose this Pavel Burry season, and there was a number I could have chose from from his time from the Canucks. This was I chose this one because this was the first, the first big offensive season from a Vancouver individual Vancouver Canuck ever in franchise history. And the franchise has been around for over twenty years at that point. Here's a, here's a quick quote I want to read you from the Vancouver Sun from early in that 92-93 season. Angel faced Pavel Burry 
answers prayers of long-suffering Canucks fans. This was the year. This was the season where the Canucks finally, Canucks fans finally say, we have a legit league-wide superstar. I know he tore up the league, albeit in a, in a limited number of games in, that, in his rookie year. But this is the full year everyone in Vancouver got to see Pavel Berry for a full entire season. And he played, I think he played 83 games that year. How do you end up playing 83 games? Unless I'm just completely confused and they played 83 games for some reason back back in the 90 in the, in the early 90s. But that jumped off to me, jumped out to me for some reason. 83 games. This, this looks weird. Of course, the Canucks made a second round that year, lost the Central Western Conference representatives, Los Angeles Kings. But that Pavel Bure 92-93 season, that, to me, is the year where Pavel Bure announced himself as one of the premier goal scorers, one of the premier players in the league, and the year where Canucks fans, long-suffering Canucks fans, as the Vancouver Sun call. And I'm sorry I couldn't catch the, couldn't give proper credit to the writer, I didn't I don't have a free I don't have a subscription to newspapers.com. I couldn't access the the archive. I just saw a preview and I and I ran with it. But it's from the Vancouver Sun around the early 92 season. I can prom I can promise you that. This point total, by the way, 110 points. Still second all time for the Vancouver Canucks behind Henrik's 2010 season, the year he won the Hart Trophy in the Art Ross. Henry, of course, that year finished 112. So this is still, individually, one of the best seasons by any Vancouver Canuck ever. And a year where Canucks fans could finally say, we have finally, finally, have a superstar we can hang our hat on. All right, we're going to run a quick ad. And when we get back, it's time for the Power of the Purell Book Club. All right, time for the Power of the Purell Book Club. My last episode I recorded, I talked about The Sopranos. Not obviously a book, but a television series. We started with one of my favorite classic rock albums ever. Now we're going to get into books, man. No better way, in my opinion, to pass the time than to, you know, read a nice book. One I want to highlight today, it's a, it's a biography, not an autobiography, a biography. It's a biography of Steve Jobs. By Walter Isaacson. Now, Steve Jobs, if you've seen the movie with, uh, what's his name? I know Seth Rogen's in it. Came out in about 2015. I forget the name of the actor who played Steve Jobs, but that movie is based off this autobiography. Essentially, Steve Jobs was a bit of an asshole, but hey, he was a genius in terms of creating products that people still, hey, I got my iPhone right beside me. Right now, I'll record this. I'm recording this on a Mac. I had an iPod growing up. This guy wrote autobiographies on both Benjamin Franklin and Einstein. Now, Steve Jobs actually went out of his way to get this guy to write his biography or authorize him to do biography. I think that goes to show that Steve Jobs, while he was alive, viewed himself in the same air, in the same breath, 
as like guys like Ben Franklin and Einstein, like guys who will be remembered forever. And I think people will remember Steve Jobs for a long time in terms of an innovator and how he created, again, how he created products that people just intuitively know how to use. You don't need an instruction manual on how to use an iPhone. It's pretty easy. And that goes as a testament, I think, to his design sense. Now, I found the... It was interesting reading the first half because I didn't know much about, you know, how he developed the Macs or what he did. I didn't even know before this that he actually got fired from Apple and then came back like about 12 years later. I didn't know that. So that part was interesting, but it was also cool to see how he, the design process and how he, how when the Apple team came up with like the iPod and the, and the iMac and even the iPhone. The iPhone was the most interesting one chapters to me just to figure out like how they designed the original iPhone. And if you're not a certain age, you don't remember when the iPhone, the iPhone was super hyped up when it, when it came out. I remember the first person I knew about an iPhone was my friend's dad. And it was like, he was like the king. She had the original iPhone back in like 2007. He was, he was like for a while, like the coolest guy I know just because he had like an iPhone. And I had this shitty flip phone Motorola thing. I wanted an iPhone, couldn't afford one at the time. They're still super expensive, but again, Steve Jobs just knew what people wanted. There's a, they talk about a bunch in the bar for everybody. He never did focus groups. He did, the Apple team never did focus groups for all this stuff. He, he forced the world to change in, in regards to how he wanted to see it. And I think that goes to show how much of a powerful influence this guy was. They go into a bit of his personal life. They go into like his relationships with his uh, ex-wife and his estranged daughter. Again, Steve Jobs a bit of an asshole, but again, he was a genius. Talked about how he only wanted A players on him. He was like super hard on all these guys. And his workers, a lot of them, if you talk to, they did when... Um, when they were talking about the original Macintosh, pretty much the consensus between the workers was, yeah, we hated him. We thought he was an asshole. But they realized afterwards that they put they that he pushed them to do things they didn't think were capable of. I didn't know that the that the original Mac was like the first like desktop like computer. Essentially just everyone else copied. I didn't know like how involved he was in Pixar. I knew he was like original investor, but he ended up when Pixar bought Disney, it, it says in the book, he ended up being like the biggest shareholder, private shareholder in Disney. I think he ended up owning like 8% of Disney. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot, but that's 8% of Disney. I don't know how much you know how much Disney's worth. That's a that's a lot of money. And apparently, yeah, Pixar apparently originally, according to this book, was a spe- was originally designed like people like Adobe, and then they were like, "Fuck it, we'll make movies." Originally, the movies were designed to to showcase the software and the hardware. But credit to Steve Jobs, he was a guy who was like, "Hey, we should just turn it into a movie movie studio." They talk about his, and they mention this a bunch in the book, the reality distortion field. That's how he pretty much willed his way to create stuff like the iPhone, that stuff that people didn't really know was possible or that was going to be the future 
of phones, like a touch screen. He was, they mentioned it a bunch of times, touch, he hated styluses. He pretty much said once you introduced a stylus, he ruined it. Which is true, I think. People want to use like their fingers. It's a bit of a, it's about, it's a pretty hefty book. It'll take, it's good for quarantine. You're like, hey, I've seen those, I've seen the, how long these shipping times look on Amazon. And you want a long book, this, this Steve Jobs book is, it's going to, it's going to suit you very well. It's, it's about 600 pages, I think, but it's an interesting read. And I, I recommend reading the, read the whole thing through, of course, don't like pick a, pick it apart. If you absolutely have to, if you don't really give that much of a shit about the older technology, read about the last quarter when he talks about like developing the iPod, and the iPhone, and the iPad, and all that stuff. But again, I'm sure you've got time now. Just read the whole thing. It's a fascinating, fascinating biography. I was always say it's probably the best written biography I've ever read. Like I, I, I found it fascinating just to get inside, just to know more about Steve Jobs. The person. Anyways, that's uh, that's this week's episode of Power of the Pure. Once again, I'm your host, Nick Bondi. Subscribe to the network, man. You'll get this show. You'll get the quickie, fastest hockey show on planet Earth. That's still going every day. New episode of Sipping on 40 coming out soon. And of course, you'll get this show. I'm going to do my regular Monday episodes, and I'm going to try and fit a bonus episode in each each week. Once again, this is Power of the Purell. This is Nick Bondi. Follow us on Twitter at Power of the Towel. And myself personally, at Nick Bondi. Thank you for listening. <laughs>